You're listening to the Winsight Podcast Network. Increase covers, not costs. It's time to level up with Talk, the restaurant industry's leading reservation platform. Join today using promo code RESTAURANTS3 for three months free off of your base subscription. Terms and conditions apply. Go to jointalk.com slash podcast. That's jointalk.com slash podcast. Is the economy headed into a recession, and how will that affect restaurants? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Michael Swanson, agricultural economist and consultant with Wells Fargo. Michael is a friend of the podcast. We have him on every so often to give us a picture of the economy, and he does not disappoint. We talk about a wide range of topics. That includes pricing and the outlook for menu price inflation versus grocery price inflation and what that could do to industry demand. Menu prices continue to increase even as grocery prices show signs of slowing down. We also talk about the outlook for a recession, which seems to be coming at the moment, but so far does not appear to be resulting in any job losses, which would definitely affect restaurant sales. We also talk about the outlook for inflation in the economy and what could happen there. It is a great conversation about the economy, so please have a listen. I am here with Michael Swanson. Michael, welcome to the podcast, sir. Pleasure to be back on. Always a great chance to visit about things. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So, as we sit here in uh, April or May, gosh, I'm getting getting behind myself here. May 2023, where are we sitting at? What's the what's inflation going to look like? Uh, food inflation in particular going to look like uh, this year? Well, it's going to be a reversal of last year. First off, we're going to see the supermarket or at-home food inflation trend back towards that traditional kind of zero to two percent range throughout the rest of this year. Uh, and then, but we're going to see the food away from home, the restaurants remain high as they lag behind and start passing along those wages and other things. So it's going to be back to the traditional food away from home running at a higher rate than supermarket food. But yeah. it, it's going to be a big change from last year. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've already seen, I mean, you see that I've taken a look at the, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've obviously watched that close uh, because last year was so unusual, so unusual in terms of the, you know, the gap you know, between, between the two and you see it really, uh, retailers are, are, are really holding the line on price increases and, and restaurants continue to raise them, uh, at a regular rate. You know, we're probably, uh, I mean, it certainly looks to me like we're a month or two from, uh, from a flip where, where we're going to see a gap the other way around and, and, and retail prices are going to be cheaper than, than restaurant prices, which will be an interesting scenario. We actually achieved that in April. If you go back and look just marginally where the mm-hmm. at home food inflation year over year was lower than the supermarket away from home. So it's just going to get more pronounced to your point. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the question is like, how bad, like, well, like how significant of a gap could that be? So you believe that restaurants will continue to raise prices at kind of the current rate? Is that just something that they always do? Or uh, do you, do you believe that, that we're just going to continue to see sort of these, these price increases uh, at this rate? Well, no, because what's going to happen is as that alternative food inflation at home, falls faster than away from home, it's going to become more noticeable to the consumer. You know, it's always about that balance of convenience and value, right? 
And so the consumer is certainly noticing when you go out to eat QSR or full service, it's expensive. And if they're worried about jobs, then they're going to think about, well, maybe I should change a little bit my habit, you know. So it's always at the margin, but it's going to be more noticeable this year for the consumer. So it's that value proposition. And the bigger the gap between the food inflation away from home and at home, the more it's going to become a signal to uh, pressure the restaurants to slow down as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, one of my concerns. One of my concerns right now, I'll tell you, is I have a, a big concern about the way the restaurant consumer is sort of being nickeled and dimed to death. And here's what I mean by this. If, if you go to a restaurant, if you've gone to like a limited service restaurant anytime recently, you might have noticed that you're, you're being asked to tip now. So we're being asked to tip on a, on a more frequent basis. And then you have these price increases on top of it. And then if you order delivery, you know, you're paying even higher charges. So my concern really here is that is that that is going to start looking awfully ugly once these grocery and like and, and we, we we as you mentioned i mean you see it in the, the numbers i mean and i i do all my grocery shopping and so i know what those prices are looking like and and you know it's 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 i mean I, it's definitely noticeable to me that you know consumers are going to notice that and you have to believe that at some point that the consumer starts shifting you know and that restaurants are going to have to start really holding the line on price increases you know, you bring up a good point. You know, I would call that the all-in pricing. <laughs> we see that sometimes with some of the internet services say, you know, I was recently traveling, you know, so Airbnb, and you, and you go through the selection, you look at the price, but until you book, you don't see their service charges or cleaning charges, their room and boarding tax charges. And it's interesting. It's a little bit like the airline phenomenon as well. You can look at the airfare, but until you get the baggage fees and all the other fees put on top of it at the final click, you really don't know what you're paying. And so the all-in cost is very different than, hey, maybe the upfront on the window cost. And the consumer, after a few turns, will say, hey, I got to learn to play this game better. So, you know, you're, you're, you're right that we've changed how we price the experience. And now consumers have to learn to learn how that new pricing mechanism really does relate to the final price. Yeah. In my general, I, I've always felt that eventually consumers eventually adjust and figure things out and stuff like that. But and but like I also went to two restaurants this weekend, each of which charged an excess fee that they didn't disclose beforehand, which is becoming increasingly common in the independent world, where they'll charge a uh, like maybe a five percent healthcare fee or like a five percent operations fee of some sort or things of that nature. So you also have that. So they're. You know, the, 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 when you, when you dine out at a restaurant today, you're paying a far higher charge than you think you are when you set about doing that. And, and, and I think eventually that eventually is going to cause some, it's got to cause some challenges over time because the other thing, and we'll, we'll, you know, that's going to, you know, which probably leads me to the next question is we, you know, we have a lot of economic uncertainty at the moment, and there's a lot of people that believe that we're probably headed for a recession right now. I mean, we're probably not in one, but it certainly start. I mean, it's increasingly looking like the economy is 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 starting to lose some of its momentum. Well, let's talk about that. You know, today uh, this is Wednesday. You know, May third, 
So we're waiting for the Friday BLS payroll report, which is uh, the first Friday of every month, typically, unless it happens to fall on Friday the 1st, then they push it back. But ADP, which is the precursor to that release, came out with a very strong employment gain number here. And the market was, you know, like, huh, when are we going to get this slowdown in payroll expansion that you would think would be caused by interest rate increases? And so it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because mm-hmm. let's face it, for the most people, their most important economic asset is their job. <laughs> it generates 90 plus percent of their current income. And so until we really see that happen now, also, we got out what we call the job openings and layoff report yesterday. And what did we know is we saw the number of open jobs crept down a little bit, but still a very high number. When you look at the number of total people in the pit, in the labor force versus job openings, still extremely high compared to pre-COVID levels. And the quit rate is creeping down as well towards a more normalized. So the, the Federal Reserve is sitting here thinking, you know what? We still have a lot of job openings. We still have a lot of quits and there's still a lot of jobs being created. Why would this be a recession? You know, and so until we see that happen, it, it's interesting. Everybody's concerned. It's a nervousness that we should have. You shouldn't should. You might get blitzed. A quarterback has to acknowledge sooner or later you might get blitzed. And you got to have a plan for getting blitzed, right? Throw the ball away. But so far, we have not seen the opponent creep up on the line and show the middle linebacker coming around the, coming around the side. So why not throw it deep down the middle? Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I love it when we, 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 uh, we use a football metaphor for economics. It's always great. But I mean, that's, a, that's actually, a, I mean, that's a very good point because like every, you know, like again, I just focus on the restaurant space, but like the thing is like every, everybody I think in, in the restaurant business of, is, is, is waiting for something to happen. You know, they because they see all these at uh, this, they, they see the economic data, they see the the interest rate increases. And, you know, and then, you know, we, we you know, there were the, the bank issues, which, you know, tend to tend to drive a lot of concern and, and things like that. And they think, well, OK, something is going to happen. And McDonald's has repeatedly said now for months, for instance, they see a mild recession coming in the United States and they've they've been pretty consistent about it. But at the well, same time. To your point, people have jobs and, you know, as far as I know, they still have money. You know, they might be borrowing a little bit more, uh, but on balance, they have money and jobs. And if they have money and jobs, they're probably going out to restaurants. Well, let's talk about a couple of things. One thing is parts of the economy are already in recession, which is true at any point in time. For example, recreational vehicles, RVs in recession. During COVID, people couldn't get into hotels, couldn't travel by plane, and there's cheap money. They got, you know, incentives. They couldn't sell enough RVs. They couldn't make enough RVs. And it was beautiful. Right now, there's a real lack of demand for RVs and a surplus of RVs. How about e-bikes? During the COVID, re- COVID event, people wanted to have a economic activity outside. Their supply chain was disrupted. You couldn't get an e-bike. I was recently in a market where they have two and a half years of e-bikes sitting in their warehouse right now uh, on current sales rate. So there are parts of the re- of the economy that are definitely in recession, but they were the parts of the economy that boomed during the disruption. And so maybe they're just going back to more normal times. So there's always that, you know, and then going back to your, your, your comment about the jobs and things like that in McDonald's, it's, it's interesting. Each person has to bring the value. And each of the QSRs or limited service restaurants have to bring the value. 
And we know, I'm not going to throw stones at anybody's class house, but some people simply develop, deliver a better value and, and have that. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot to discuss about looking at one particular company and it's what's it doing. So call a recession, worry about a recession. Wait a minute. Even during the great recession of 2008, we had 5% contraction in jobs. We didn't see spending on food decline. It went sideways, but it didn't go down. One out of 20 people lost their job. And that's not true. The people that lost their job probably lost their job multiple times, whereas most people kept their job, but they were nervous. So to sit there and, and to keep the weight on the back of your heels about a possible recession, instead of grabbing the bull by the horns and making sure you're giving the best dining experience to the person that's coming through the door today, that seems to be a kind of a, um, an interesting approach to marketing. That's, that's a really good point. We talked before that even through recessions, as you mentioned, like restaurants maintain pretty, like they do pretty well. And like, I, mean, I could tell you, like, as, as you know, I look at the individual performance and usually what happens in situations like that, you know, the brands that struggle are brands that were struggling for a reason. And there's a reason why they were having issues. You know, it's not just because, I mean, like even during the pandemic, the, the brands that failed were brands, you know, I mean, a perfect example is a certain, uh, you know, group of, of, of buffet concepts that basically shut down the whole thing. And they'd been struggling for ages. They'd gone through multiple bankruptcies. They, they didn't really invest in their restaurants and, and things like that. You know, and the issues right now, even that we're seeing after the pandemic, it's, it's usually companies that just didn't have a good pace. You know, they have a lot of debt. Uh, they weren't very profitable to begin with. They're not really doing what they should with the consumer and, you know, consumers, you know, react and, and things like that. And then, you know, and then, and then they have subsequent problems associated with it. But on balance, people usually keep eating out in some form or fashion because they really like to do it. You know, they might shift their spending a little. They might get, you know, you know, they might go towards cheaper options a little bit more, but they'll continue to eat out at restaurants. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting. You bring up a very important part of asset financing, whether it is restaurant chains or whether it's hotel chains or whether it is car dealerships. Sometimes we operate in the greater fool theory of the financing world. Well, things are going well and debt's getting cheaper. You, you believe, okay, even if I maintain this cash flow, there'll be a bigger multiple on that cash flow in the future for the sales point. And go back to the 2008-2009 housing crisis. At some point, the greater fool theory fails you temporarily, and you have to struggle with that. And so you get a reset. And so whether it is restaurant chains, car dealerships, hotels, whatever, what the Federal Reserve's interest rate is really doing is saying to people, hey, mm-mm you have to finance at a much higher cost right now on the debt. Therefore, the multiple has to be smaller, not bigger. And so you really kind of, to use Warren Buffett's famous example, when the tide goes out, you get to see who's not, who's naked when they're swimming. It's not a pretty sight. And so it's, you know, the higher debt is really kind of the tide going out of this greater fool theory. And so Perfect. it's saying, hey, earn money by operations, not by betting on the come. A year later or two years later, you can sell for a greater multiple. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. So, so we, we now uh, the thing that we we've, we've been hearing um, actually really the last couple of weeks pretty universally is some some real improvement 
or some real improvement in terms of, of uh, inflation metrics and um, and labor uh, in particular. Uh, labor seems to be getting easier to find. Uh, that actually seems to be universal. I don't. I haven't talked to anybody. Uh, nobody is has mentioned. Well, labor is labor is getting tougher. Nobody's saying labor is getting tougher. Everybody is saying labor is getting better. Uh, that it's that it's uh, you know that uh, you know they're people are staying at their jobs longer and, and things like that. So, I mean, it looks like to me that if you look at the operating environment from a restaurant's perspective, that this actually could be a, a decently profitable year, certainly compared with last year. You know, and, and my most recent blog, which people can find on the Wells Fargo website, got to put the pitch in, of course. Um, you know, what I said is everywhere and always inflation's labor to your point that you just, you just teed up perfectly. And so, we were never short ingredients. We were never short corn. We were never short soybeans. We were never short strawberries, you know, but we didn't have the trucking. We didn't have the factory work. But as labor force participation has recovered, and that's a big, big deal, we've seen wage rates come down, the growth rates. For example, in, in the service industry, we've seen last report was 3.5% year-over-year wage rate growth. That's very similar to what we saw pre-COVID. And so... To your point, they know how to deal with that. They know how to have a 2.5% menu board price increase and that type of labor as they work with efficiencies. They make it happen. So if they're back to that environment, menu boards are going to stabilize as well because their competition is going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I also, one of the things I always, I think it's it needs to, we need to kind of remember, um, and I think that we probably needed to remember this last year maybe, is that, a lot of what happened last year is just a, an adjustment to to you know going you know emerging out of this pandemic, where you just had this large number of people that changed their lives, or they weren't working, or they decided they were going to do something else, and or they were just slow to get back into the workforce. Actually, that was quite a bit of it, I think. And I just think that the economy was moving, you know, demand was moving at a faster rate than the ability, than people's willingness to go back into work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so a lot of it is, you know, we never really, we've never, I don't think in, 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 you know, well, certainly in a generation, really, I guess the early eighties, you have to go back to any scenario in which you had inflation like this, but you have to go back a century since we had a pandemic of this of this scale, and I don't think any of us was alive were alive at the time. If we were, we certainly weren't uh, dealing with uh, economics and in, in the restaurant space, you know. And and so, like, it was always made this thing tough to predict. But like, there was just this big adjustment from what what's been happening, and and people were naturally slow to get back to work because they didn't want to get sick. Well, you know, let's talk about that for the restaurant trade, because it's, it's interesting how the recovery is still proceeding. We're pushing people to try to come back to work from office, right? Hmm. And a lot of companies have compromised three days in, two days off. And so we see this very interesting dynamic around the country. I travel a lot. Monday and Friday, the highways are empty as people are taking care of that, you know, work from home dynamic. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you see a traffic difference. But that's going to have an impact on where people eat, you know, on that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as well. And then each restaurant has its strength. You know, are you a breakfast? Are you a lunch? Are you a dinner chain? Do you cover them all well? And where's your locations? Downtown, on the periphery? You know, are you in the suburbs? And so the industry is still 
working with this, hey, what's the new pattern and how do I staff for it? How do I create a menu for it? You know, and so it's, it's, it's interesting. So it's not all done yet. We're still saying, hey, what's the new best way of doing this? And what you see a very interesting. And so the restaurants very much feel this dynamic and it's up to them to say, how do I respond to this dynamic? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I, it's, it's, you know, it's tough to make a decision in a climate like that, because I think you had a lot of operators that are trying to make a guess as to, all right, what is this, is this trend going to last over the long term? You know, and you mentioned, you know, that work from home dynamic, we're betting that people are going to probably work from home a lot more often for a lot longer. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're making this bet that people are going to continue to work from home at an elevated rate for a long time. And, and a lot of restaurants also are making a bet that people are going to be using the drive through at a higher rate than, you know, uh, but, but it still makes it a, a difficult because you just don't really know how the consumer is going to react. Are they going to come back into the office? Um, you know, are they, you know, I mean, you know, uh, as far as how they're dining at restaurants or they've, they've been rapidly normalizing in that way, you know, it's just, it makes it, it does make the, the environment to try to make a decision in the, in a situation like this to be, to be a little bit more complicated because it's hard to see what is permanent and what is temporary. Well, sense. I have some advice then for people. So right on the back of your hand with a Sharpie, it's not about me because <laughs> what we're going to see, whether it's work from home or work remotely, is whether the companies make money doing it, right? So if you have a company that makes more money with remote workers because they're happier, they can pay them less, they save office space, they're going to go down that road. But if they start losing market share because they're not competing well with somebody who put the people back in the office, I was down visiting uh, somebody in Des Moines yesterday, and it's 100% back to office because they just felt, you know, we don't get the get the um, productivity from people when they're not in the office like we're paying them for. Now, it's going to be a question: who makes more money? You know, if they if they do better than competition that doesn't force that, you know, it would be interesting. So it's not about me. So it's like I might like to work from home, but if, if my competition's beating me six ways from Sunday. While I do that, mm -hmm. I might have to go back to the office. So we'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah. But it's not about me. Companies are going to have to make a lot of decisions. I, I That's going to be really one of those big, big, you know, just obviously beyond the restaurant space. I mean, it does affect it nominally in some form. But like just back to, you know, uh, uh, back to the office uh, decisions and, and things like that. You know, I mean, at some point your company is going to have to force the issue or they're going to have to exit their leases in some of these mm -hmm. facilities. They're going to have to reduce the space that they use. You know, uh, so many decisions that have to do with 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 that are going to have to be made here because they can't. I don't think a lot of businesses can continue at it, the way they're going without making some sort of change. Right. And, you know, you you know, you bring up the productivity issue because you do have a lot of people that don't necessarily, you know, it, you know, if you're, if you know, you have a business in which people are more productive in the office, you might have to bring them into the office versus, you know, things like that. There's just a lot of decisions that have to be made on that front for sure. You know, as we go along, there's going to be technological change anyways, mm -hmm. it is going to be competitive change anyways, regulatory change anyways. And so, you know, there's no happily ever after in economics. That's, that's something that we should we should always remind people. There's no happily ever after in economics. You can't you can make the right decisions today and still have to make a painful decision tomorrow. So yeah, 
Super. Michael, this was fantastic. Really appreciate you joining me this week on the podcast. Well, it's always a pleasure talking, and I hope your, your clients and listeners got something out of this conversation as well. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kazmarek, artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. covers, not costs. It's time to level up with Talk, the restaurant industry's leading reservation platform. Join today using promo code RESTAURANTS3 for three months free off of your base subscription. Terms and conditions apply. Go to jointalk.com slash podcast. That's jointalk.com slash podcast.